The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 4, 12 to 25. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction, every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Well, last weekend I found myself subscribing to the streaming service Peacock. I never wanted to subscribe to Peacock. I've never wanted to before in my life, but because Peacock purchased the exclusive rights to the NFL wildcard playoff game between the Chiefs and the Dolphins for like $110 million, there I was subscribing to Peacock. I was not excited about this. I did so reluctantly. In fact, right after I subscribed, I noticed the little cancel anytime blurb at the bottom. And so when I read that, I said out loud, hey, Siri, remind me tomorrow at 7 p.m. to cancel Peacock. I was not all in. And I share that as a contrast with our passage today because in the passage that Sarah just read, the passage that we just heard, we are invited, we are exhorted to go all in with Jesus. The big idea I want to drive home this morning encompasses the three major points that I'll make this morning, and it's this, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and therefore, believe the message, join the mission, behold the miracles. Or in short, go all in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. If you're not open there to Matthew 4 in your, in your copy of God's Word, please go ahead and turn there. It should be on page 809 in those black pew Bibles. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry as Matthew records it. And he gives us a timestamp that this kicked off once John the Baptist was arrested. And when that happened, Matthew 4 verses 12 through 13 tells us that Jesus left Nazareth and he traveled northeast. 
into the region of Galilee, into the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, to a city called Capernaum, which is right at the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a seaside fishing community. It's where Peter and Andrew and James and John were all from. It's also where Matthew lived. Galilee was, was not a large area, but it was highly populated. It was smack dab in the middle of major trade routes. In fact, there was a saying of the day that Judea, down further south, that Judea is on its way to nowhere, and Galilee is on the way to everywhere. Matthew records that it was here that Jesus began to preach, verse 17, a word that means to speak with authority, to announce as a herald, to proclaim, to assert. And what was he preaching? A pretty simple message, actually. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was a two-part sermon, pretty straightforward. A call to action, repent, based upon a new reality, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you've been following along in our series in, in Matthew, notice it's the same message that John the Baptist was preaching. However, as we're about to find out, with Jesus stepping on the scene in his public ministry, the kingdom has drawn so near that it's actually dawned. The kingdom has. Now, in the New Testament, the, these phrases, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, just kingdom on itself, they're all used interchangeably. Matthew prefers to use kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks a lot about this kingdom. Over 100 times in about 70 passages, actually, he refers to the kingdom in the New Testament. What does that phrase mean? And I'll give you the short version. The kingdom of heaven is the manifest presence of God's reign. It's the manifest presence of God's reign. It's, it's not a physical territory. It's not a physical realm that you kind of you know, cross one border and, and over into this one. It's a spiritual reality that you receive. It has to do with God's rule. It has to do with God's reign. It has to do with God's authority, but not in the typical way that we think about rule, reign, and authority. Jesus is not annexing a portion of the Middle East in which to set up shop and throne and rule like an earthly king. In fact, the kingdom of heaven isn't constrained by any physical geography at all. It wasn't a move of political power, which is what many were expecting, maybe hoping for. They were expecting the Messiah to come and dethrone Rome's political and economic dominance and reestablish their borders. God's kingdom is not like earthly kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven knows no borders. Instead, it's the manifest presence of God's rule and his reign and his authority. And Jesus says right here in the text, it's at hand. This is the new reality Jesus is announcing. And he doesn't say it's here. He says it's at hand. It's, it's breaking in. The sense that we ought to have is here it comes. And therefore, repent. Turn. Turn from your old ways and turn toward Jesus. Receive the kingdom is going to be part of his message. Receive it like little children. Eagerly and joyfully. 
Receive the rule, receive the reign, receive the authority of God. Come into the kingdom, come under the king. It's good here. Life in the kingdom is the way life was supposed to be lived. It's where God reigns. Our good God. Our good, good Father whose love is steadfast towards His people. Who's merciful and gracious and faithful to His people. Faithful to His promises. It's where He rules. It's where what He says goes. To come into the kingdom then isn't to come under the rule and the reign of God in some oppressive way. It's to come under His good and loving care. His concern, His protection, His provision. It's to come into the arms of Jesus who is gentle and lowly and says, Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's to come into the realm of the Spirit who leads us and empowers us to live life in this kingdom, in God's ways. And the phrase gets fleshed out more in the New Testament. To to come into God's kingdom is to, to, to come into God's salvation. Notice carefully Jesus' message. He doesn't say, uh, turn your lives around so that the kingdom will come. He doesn't say, turn your lives around in order to get the goodies of the kingdom, the good life of the kingdom. No, his message is it's much more forceful than that. His message, his preaching is turn your life around because here it comes. There's an action called for based upon a new reality dawning. And this is the first thing that I want us to kind of tuck away and carry out of here this morning by way of application. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And therefore, point one, believe the message. Believe it. Hear Jesus preaching, but even more, receive Jesus' preaching. Go all in with the preaching, with the message of Jesus. Believe the message, the message that the kingdom is at hand. And that anyone can get in on it. Now, someone in here this morning is probably thinking, okay, fine, kingdom, sounds good, maybe. But God probably doesn't want me in that kingdom. I mean, I don't belong there. Well, can I show you that the way Matthew writes this is actually intended to debunk any sense of exclusion. Christianity is the most inclusive religion in the world. Now, it has exclusive claims to be absolutely sure. That Jesus is the Christ, he's the son of God, that no one gets to the Father except through him, that he alone is God, that he alone saves, and apart from his saving, there is no saving. Those are exclusive claims. Every religion has exclusive claims. But Christianity has an inclusivity like no other. Christianity says, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. So it doesn't matter what color your skin is or what part of the world you're from or what side of the tracks you live on. 
It doesn't matter what your parents believed or didn't believe. It doesn't matter how your parents raised you or didn't. It doesn't matter what social economic class you're in. It doesn't matter who you voted for in the last election or who you're going to vote for in this one. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't even matter what your struggles are, what your unique temptations are. Those are going to get addressed. But in good time, once you're in the kingdom, you'll want to address them. God will change your heart to where you want to, and he'll send his spirit into you to empower you to. But in short, anyone can get in on this. And Matthew is telling us that here in this text. See, if you lived in first century, um, in, in first century Middle East here, you would have thought it's odd, actually, that Jesus went and set up Central HQ up in Capernaum. Especially if you think he's supposed to be the Jewish Messiah. Galilee, see, was a place of mixed population, Jews and Gentiles. It was a place like Nazareth that was looked down upon by the Jews in Jerusalem. It's called, in verse 15, Galilee of the Gentiles. It's like a first century version of calling America a melting pot, only it was used in a very derogatory way. They looked down their noses at these people. And yet Matthew tells us Galilee was precisely where the Old Testament prophet Isaiah foretold the Messiah would come and minister when he inaugurated his kingdom. That's what verses 14 and 16 are about. Matthew says Jesus went up to Capernaum in Galilee so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Would you take a minute and just look at the way these people are described? There are those dwelling in darkness, sitting still, in their darkness. They're in habitual darkness, spiritual darkness. It's not an occasional hanging out there. They dwell there. They live there. In the region and shadow of death, a, a, a territory assigned to death, living in death's shadow like all the time. Peoples who, whose horizon is bound by death. They were the despised and the lowly. They were the forgotten about, neglected by the spiritual and religious leaders who preferred to stay closer to Jerusalem. Dwelling in darkness, unable to get themselves out of it. You ever been in total darkness before? Like if you were transported into a completely dark room and you had no idea how you got in there, you would have no idea how to get out, would you? Fumbling around, unable. Maybe that describes how you feel this morning. Well, if so, would you hear this good news? That it is upon these folks that the light has dawned. It doesn't say the people dwelling in semi-moderate light have seen a great light. No, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. The light of Jesus. 
The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The, the light which shines into the darkness. Into the darkest corners of your soul. And the darkness has not overcome it. Not in 2,000 years. The light of Jesus continues to shine into darkness. With a message that says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a message that comes to each one of us. It's a message that comes to every one of us. It's the most inclusive message. Anyone can get in on it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe the message. Believe the gospel. And listen, if you're here and you're a Christian, which is a lot of you, never stop believing this message. It's a reminder of, of where you were when the light shone on you. Now, you didn't get into the kingdom with your little flashlight of piety and your lantern of religiosity. You too were in darkness. Saved from the saving light of Jesus. Remember that and be properly humbled and awestruck in worship by that. Praise Him for it. And then also remember that no one around you who doesn't yet trust in Jesus will ever scavenge their way into the kingdom with their little flashlights of morality. Their little flashlights of, of good deeds either. They need Jesus. They need the light of Jesus. Jesus is going to tell you here in just a couple of weeks in Matthew 5 that you're the light of the world. Meaning you carry his light now. Let's go forth and shine. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. And therefore, point one, believe the message. But listen, going all in with Jesus is about more than a new set of beliefs. Which is why the second thing I want us to tuck away and carry out of here this morning is a call to join the mission. Verse 18. Well, Walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, many of their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. This is a very famous Seeing Jesus calling his first disciples. And I want us to notice a couple things in it. First, Jesus, when he calls out to Peter and Andrew, uh, presumably the same call, similar call to James and John, he doesn't say, uh, believe in my message. He says, follow me. Which in rabbinic speech meant, Come, become my students. Be apprenticed by me. Learn to live like I live. Learn to do what I do. Learn to think like I think. It meant follow me and never stop following me. Secondly, it's not really an invitation. Did you notice that? <laughs> it's a command. Jesus doesn't say, hey, guys, would you like to follow me? He's the son of God. And so he authoritatively says, follow me. And they do. They go all in. Peter and Andrew were told immediately they left their nets and followed him. James and John were told immediately they left their boat and their father too and they followed him. They stopped doing what they had been doing. What they had been occupied with. 
What had taken up so much of their thought life and, and, and their energy, they left their whole way of life and followed. They submitted their life to him, not just as rabbi, but as Lord. Which is a good test for us. Have you gone all in with Jesus? Are you following him? Not just believing in him. Are you willing to do whatever this master says to do? Are you willing to abstain from anything and everything he says to abstain from? Are you willing to go wherever this master leads? Or are you holding back? Is he merely your savior or is he also your Lord? Are there any areas of your life where you've said, maybe just in, internally to yourself, we don't usually tell people this, right? Are there any areas of your life where internally you've said, I'm actually not going to let God rule there, right? I won't let him command my life or my decisions, my ethics here. I know he's the son of God and he's, you know, he's, he's sovereign, he knows everything, and he created me, but I think I probably actually know a little bit better for my life in this particular area over here. I don't need to listen to him or submit my life to him in this area. He can have this much, but not this much. He can ask this much of me, but not this much. Have you drawn a line and told God, don't cross it? If so, you're not really following Jesus. Not really. Not fully. You're not all in. You're not following. You want Jesus to follow you. Following Jesus means living like Jesus, living for Jesus, living under Jesus. It's not living like yourself for yourself with a little bit of spiritual howdy sprinkled in. See, I don't know about you, but I have a strong fleshly propensity to define dedication on my own terms. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take charge of defining what it means to be dedicated and follow after God. Which means I need to pay really close attention to this text, and you probably do too. Notice Jesus doesn't say in the text, follow me and I'll make you happy. He doesn't say, I haven't found it any other, I looked at all the translations, none of them say, follow me and I'll make your life easy. They don't, it doesn't even say, follow me and I'll save your souls. What does he say? He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. People is the word, men or women. Fishers of souls. This is part of what it means, see, to follow Jesus. Like the seeds of the Great Commission, which have already been planted by Matthew in his gospel, are getting watered here. Now, does that mean that to really follow Jesus, you got to go into full time ministry? Yes, actually. 
but not like you think. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be in full-time ministry. Now, your paycheck might not come from the church or a parachurch or a nonprofit. You might not even have a paycheck, right? But you are in full-time ministry if you're a Christian. We're his witnesses. We are his ambassadors. We're a royal priesthood. Listen, that's not a side gig. That's not a volunteer thing that you do on the weekends. In fact, you're ministering all the time, whether you realize it or not. You're witnessing all the time, whether you realize it or not, to your coworkers, to your family, to your friends and neighbors, your extended family. You're witnessing all the time. If they know you're a Christian, they are drawing conclusions about what it means to be a Christian and to follow after Jesus by how you live your life and how you talk and how you treat others. If they don't know you're a Christian, when they come to find out, which they should, if you're an ambassador, witness, priest, they've already done the same, haven't they? Which, if we're honest, is why sometimes we feel ashamed to let somebody know that we actually are a Christian. Because we look at our life and we say, I haven't been actually a very good witness, and now they're going to find out, and they're going to... Which is actually a great opportunity to explain more of the gospel to them, and how you're not perfect. And how you need Jesus just as much as you, just as much as they do. But listen, are you following Jesus? Are you all in? Have you joined the mission? See, with Christianity, um, anyone can get in on this. It is only half of what it means to be a Christian. The second half, all who do, also get in on the mission. What's the mission? Fishing. Fishing. A couple summers ago, I took up fishing again. Not with nets like Jesus' disciples, but just a little rod and a reel and some lures I try to keep out of my face. But I got a little kayak. Got a little kayak. And when I, I don't get out as much as I like, especially not this time of year, I'm not into ice fishing. That's crazy, okay? Um, that's where this illustration just totally breaks down, right? But when, I, when I, I like to go out to fish, I like to go out southwest of town over there to Conestoga Lake, nice little fishing lake that I don't want any of you to go to because then you'll ruin it for me, right? But I put in my little kayak and I paddle around, fishing, just fishing. Sometimes, more times than I like to admit, I don't catch anything. You know what we still call it when I don't? Fishing. Fishing. Just casting my line, reeling it in. Casting my line, reeling it in. That's actually all I can do. I can't make the fish bite. I wish I could. All I can do is cast my line, reel it in. Or, or sometimes, different tactic, cast it out there, wait. Reel in once in a while, check the bait, switch up, you know, cast it out there again. Wait. Takes a lot of patience to be a fisherman. Takes a lot of surrender because you can't control the catch. If you've ever gone fishing, though, you know there's nothing quite like the catch. It's thrilling, it's exhilarating. That's what you're there for. It doesn't matter if it's an itty-bitty fish, right? I catch little bitty fish like this, and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's amazing. I'm going to go home and tell my wife about it. Take a picture with this thing or something, you know? I don't do that. But I should. 
doesn't matter if it's an itty-bitty fish or a great big fish. What matters is the catch. You know, one of the things that I'm pretty proud of about our church, um, I, th- I mean that, I think, in a godly way. One of the things I'm pretty proud of about our church is that I think we've done a decent job of keeping the mission the mission. Um, let me explain. The, the, the mission isn't to grow a great big church. That's not the mission. The mission isn't to keep Christians busy. The mission isn't to throw a whole bunch of events that we invite a disinterested public to. The mission isn't even to merely love people really, really well. Although all of us are commanded to do that. To love our neighbor as ourselves. And every one of us should be about the business of neighbor love. And certain. we're going to get into that in a couple weeks. Listen, our mission is to make, mature, and unleash fishermen. who go fishing with gospel faithfulness in all the ordinary fishing holes of our lives. One of the best parts of my job is getting to hear how that's going. Think of it as micro-mission, if that's helpful to you, but we're, we're doing it. You're like, you're doing it. I hear it about it all the time. I know we don't all hear about it all the time, but I get to hear about it all the time. You're doing what we set out to do. Can we always do it better? Obviously. (laughs) But just because we can always do it better doesn't mean that we're not doing it. And we don't celebrate that very well. Um, I've been actually thinking about that quite a bit. We need to celebrate more that we're doing what it is that we set out to do so that we can have some regular encouragement and affirmation that we're actually doing it. And also be reminded that this is, in fact, what it is that we are supposed to be doing. I got some ideas. We're going to try one of them out in our next members meeting. Where we just have an open mic and invite members to come up, 30 seconds at a pop, and just say, this is what God's doing. Just come up and say, hey, I've been having conversations with my coworker named James. He's starting to ask questions about God. And I'm trying to answer those questions. And I'm trying to share the gospel with him. Would you pray for James? And would you pray for me as I engage with James? Or... Um, hey, I got this friend and she's talking about coming to church. She's never been to church before. And her name is Jane. And so would you pray for my friend Jane that she actually would come to church in the next couple of weeks and then that actually would you even come over and say hello to her and help her feel welcome as a part of our church? And would you pray for me as I try to engage Jane and would you pray for Jane? Just 30 seconds at a pop. Maybe someone else comes up and says, hey, I got this neighbor named John and he's going through a really difficult time and I, I know he's shared it with me and so I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to serve him, trying to sort out this whole mess. But even while I'm trying to demonstrate the gospel to him, would you pray that I'd be bold enough to share the gospel with him as well? And so would you pray for John? And would you pray for me? Listen, I know that that's happening all throughout our church. In lots of little bitty ways. And we don't always give ourselves credit for it. But guys, that is what it looks like to go fishing. It's very ordinary. But it's very amazing. And it's what we're to be about. And so we want to share them more. We want to celebrate them more. We want to pray more. We want to fish more. I'd go fishing all the time if I could. This is the mission. And if you're here and you're a Christian, you've been called to it. 
Anyone can get in on the kingdom of heaven gospel stuff, and all who do also get in on the mission. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Join the mission. Go all in. That brings us nicely to the last section of our text this morning, which I've put under the banner of Behold the Miracles. Believe the message, join the mission, behold the miracles. This passage is truly incredible, if you'll read it with a little bit of emotion. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Jesus' ministry here is threefold. I want you to notice what did he do? He, he went about teaching in the synagogues, giving sequential, careful, reasoned instruction. He was also proclaiming, it's the same word used earlier for preaching, he was preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, because the kingdom breaking in is good news. Like teaching and preaching aren't the same thing. Jesus did both, but then notice where the emphasis is. It's on the third part here, on what? The healing. He was healing every disease Every affliction. Every. Listen, if, if you're the kind of person who does the underlining thing in your Bible or maybe a highlighter thing in your Bible, do me a favor and underline the word every in the two spots that shows up there in verse 23. And then just look at it for a minute. Like let the weight of the reality of this one sentence of Scripture come upon you. No one ever met with Jesus here and heard the words, boy, I've never seen that before. No one ever met with Jesus here and and, and heard the words, we're going to have to order some more tests. Or, I'm going to need to refer you to a specialist. Or, insurance isn't going to cover that. No one ever met with Jesus during this time and heard the words, I'm really sorry, but it's stage four. And we're going to do everything that we can. But to be real honest with you, you're going to have to start putting your affairs in order. No one ever met with Jesus and left with some pharmaceutical cocktail with a list of side effects a mile long that actually sound worse than the ailment itself. No, he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Those who were sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains and paralytics, the physical, those oppressed by demons, the spiritual, those having seizures, epilepsy. Some commentators think that the way the word is used there could have included mental illness. Jesus healed them all. Physical healing, spiritual healing, mental healing. These were miracles. Miracles. 
And I don't know if you have a category for the miraculous, but if not, let me just ask, what are you doing here? Why bother with any religion if you can take care of it all on your own? So even if you don't believe that this is true, that Jesus actually went around and did this sort of thing and that he can, even if you don't believe it's true, there's a part of you that really wants it to be true. And if you say, no, there isn't, well, one day there will be. And you can trust me on that. When it's your loved one, someone you care deeply about, Miracle is the word we use to describe something that is beyond what we thought would happen in the world as we know it. Miracle is the word we use when God does something that only God can do. Friends, Jesus can heal. He's able to do far more abundantly than anything we ask or think. I've asked some pretty amazing stuff. He can do even more than that. Jesus is able to heal, and sometimes he still does. Some of you have experienced miraculous healings. Someone you know maybe has experienced miraculous healings, or you've heard of someone experiencing a miraculous healing. Jesus can heal. Jesus does sometimes heal the physical, the mental, and sometimes we get a front row seat of that, and all we can do is behold. And then there's times, for reasons we don't fully understand, when Jesus doesn't heal. Even when we pray for it. Even though he's able. Even though we fast and pray and long for a miracle, it doesn't come. What do we do then? Well, we remember that Jesus can heal. Jesus does sometimes in the here and now heal And Jesus will one day fully heal. Like this passage is a glimpse of heaven. It's a picture of what it will look like when the kingdom of heaven is not just at hand, not just inaugurated, but consummated. When Christ returns and permanently, eternally heals all his people from all their ailments. And without diminishing that one single bit, would you also realize this? Every single Christian in this room has experienced personally a miracle. You're like, oh, not me. What are you talking about? Listen, if you don't believe that, you don't understand the gospel. It's a miracle that anyone, anyone in this room is a Christian at all. Why do I say that? Because we were all lost. We were all sinful, dwelling in spiritual darkness, 
dwelling in the region in the shadow of death. But now, we have seen a great light. On us, the light of Christ has shone. We once were dead in sin, but we've been made alive. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the Son. We once were alienated from God, but now we're called as friends, orphans who've been adopted, misfits who have become essential body parts. Miracle is the word we use when God does something only God can do, and only God did all that. Behold the miracles sitting around you in this room. There's a lot of them. Believe the message, join the mission, and behold the miracles you'll see him do as you go fishing. Every catch is a miracle. A thrilling, exhilarating miracle of God that causes the angels to rejoice. Who doesn't want to go all in and get in on that? Well, in Jesus' day, lots of people seem to go all in on that. In fact, our text paints a picture of just how widespread the news about Jesus was spreading. Verse 24 tells us that his fame spread throughout all Syria, which was north of Galilee, actually. Verse 25, great crowds were coming um, all throughout Galilee. And the Decapolis, that's the, ten that's the ten major cities that were southeast of Galilee, that region there. And from Judea and Jerusalem to the southwest. And from beyond the Jordan, the region of Perea, east of the Jordan River. In short, people were coming from all around Great crowds following him. But were they all in? See, the jury's still out a bit on these crowds. In fact, Matthew's gospel, in Matthew's gospel, the crowds occupy this sort of middle space. They're not opposed to Jesus, but they're not all in yet either. They're actually a little bit like me with my Peacock subscription. Last Sunday, 7 p.m., got a notification popped up on my phone. You know what it said. Cancel Peacock. Problem is, at 7 p.m. last Sunday night, my family and I were sitting in the back den watching a show that we discovered we'd like to watch on <laughs> Peacock. Turns out there's 11 seasons of it. <laughs> Which means, to the NBC execs counting their money and new subscribers, I'm in a little bit of a middle space. I'm not opposed. I'm not all in, though, either yet. And this is a good word for us to hear as we close Matthew chapter 4. See, you can be following Jesus for completely wrong reasons. You can be following Jesus, but really only following yourself for what you want, seeking to just clear your conscience of guilt and not really surrender your life over, seeking to get the goodies of the kingdom without really joining the mission of the kingdom, seeking to pry a miracle out of God to satisfy what it is that you think you need instead of surrendering to his will for your life, even if it includes suffering. 
It's interesting, isn't it, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, what was the very next thing he taught them to pray? Your will be done. (laughs) Just so we don't get it confused. Which teaches us that as we close out Matthew 4 and all this talk about believing the message and joining the mission and beholding the miracles, all of it is off if we're not beholding Jesus. Son of God. The one whom our text tells us the prophet Isaiah pointed forward to as the Messiah. The one whom has all authority to command the first disciples to follow him, and they do. The one whom has all power over every disease and every affliction. His miracle working power actually attesting to the truth that he is in fact the long expected one. See, at the end of this passage, we're not just left with beholding miracles. We're left beholding Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord, our Healer. Let's pray. Father, as we behold Jesus now, would we also believe his message, that the gospel that he preached, the gospel that he embodied, the gospel of his life and his death and his resurrection, we believe it deeply, transformatively. Would we follow Jesus, Lord, with an increasing wholeheartedness? Would we see ourselves the way that you see us as fishers of men, fishers of women, empowered by your Spirit, as Christ's followers, to go and make and mature more Christ followers, more fishermen and women. Getting to behold the miracles that you perform even in and through our little fishing expeditions. Father, continue your work in those we love, who are not yet a part of your kingdom. Help us to faithfully cast and reel, cast and wait, trusting that you're the one who makes the catch. Lord, help us to believe that you're at work in their lives, even right now. And use us for their good and our good and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.